Welcome to the BC Podcast, featuring a weekly message from Believer's Church in Warren, Ohio. For more information, visit www.believers.cc. All right, welcome to Believer's Church. Welcome to our new series, Is It Okay To? And you notice my wife's up here. We thought today's lesson it'd be great to co-teach it. So we're going to co-teach this lesson, and we're going to give you a, a rounded view uh, of this subject. And uh, just a reminder, next weekend, here's what we're going to ask next weekend. Is it okay to drink alcohol and smoke marijuana? And we have an after party after every service. So I want to encourage you to <laughs> come out. And you guys are sharp. You got it. You got my joke. But today, today, we're going to ask, in my opinion, the toughest cultural question out there. Um, is it okay to live the gay lifestyle or to attend a gay wedding or if you own a business to service a gay wedding? And I want to open up with a story. Um, Gene and I, we had the privilege of pioneering believers in 1983. We came out of Bible school, started the church. And back in the 80s, the, the, the most famous ministers, when they got onto this subject of the gay lifestyle, they were very harsh, very cruel, very demeaning, <clears throat> and very shaming. And so that's the atmosphere we were sitting under. They also uh, taught and believed that all you had to do if you struggled with that is have one of them or somebody like them pray over you, and they could cast out a spirit or a devil, and you'd never have a temptation in that area again. So we're living in that. We're pastoring the church now for about two years. And there's this guy in our church, he is a model Christian. I mean, he's an incredible Christian. Um, he's living the life. Uh, he has the fruit of the Spirit coming out. He's one of our volunteers. Everybody in the church respects him highly. And uh, he's married. And so one day he came up to me and he said, Pastor Joe, I, I need an appointment with you. So we set an appointment. He comes into the appointment. And here's how he begins the appointment. He says, you have to make me a promise. Promise me that what I'm about to share with you, you'll never, you'll never share with another soul on planet Earth, even your wife. And I said, I make that promise to you. And then he looked at me and he said, I mean it. He said, if what I'm about to tell you gets out, he says, I will be shamed. I'll never be able to come back to this church. He said, you'll ruin my life. And I looked at him and I said, I promise you, I won't say a word. And I'm thinking he had an affair, something like that. So then he opened up and he said, well, pastor, um, I am struggling with same-sex attraction. And he shocked me. And here's why he shocked me. Um, he didn't fit the profile, so that shocked me. And then, uh, it's first time someone ever came to me with that, with that, I've never dealt with it before at that time. I'm about 26, 27 years old and never had dealt with that. And so he told me his story and he said, you know, I, I snuck out of state a couple times. I went to some of these ministers and had them lay hands on me. They prayed over me. They cast spirits out of me. And he says, that thing's still there. You know, He said, I fasted and I prayed uh, for weeks. He said, and he says, it's still there. And he says, I don't want it there. He, he said, but it's there. He said, I got married thinking if I got married, it would disappear. It didn't disappear, he said. And he says, I'm just coming to you for help. He says, I need, I need somebody that I can talk to, someone that can pray with me, he says, because I believe the Bible says I shouldn't live that way, but he says, I'm really struggling, Pastor. And I thought, wow, this, this guy's my hero, first of all. I put him way up there, really high in my eyes. And I asked him a couple questions. 
You know, I said, well, um, how was your relationship with your father? Because I'm thinking, you know, trying to figure this thing out in my mind. And uh, he said, I have a great relationship with my dad. He said, I had a great relationship with my dad. He was the most incredible, affirming father you could ever have. Same with my mom. He said, I grew up in a Christian home. And then he threw this in for good measure. I was never abused emotionally or sexually. And, and so I said, well, when did this begin? And he said, man, he said, back in kindergarten, he said, I remember all my friends being attracted to girls. And he said, and I'm not saying anything to anybody, but I'm being attracted to guys. And, and he blew my, blew or shocked my theology right there, uh, you know, everything I had been taught, because I thought, first of all, there's not always, and maybe, you know, very t small times, is there instant de deliverance from that or anything, you know, some things you have to fight your entire life as a Christian. And, and, and then, you know, just the thought that somebody dealt with that from as far back as they could remember, I didn't, I didn't, I'd never thought about that before. So I looked at him and here's what I said. I said, first of all, I want to say to you, you're my hero. I respect you for fighting, for doing everything you can to obey the Bible. And I said, I honestly don't have an answer for you. I said, but I want to make you a promise. I'm going to go read every book I can find. I'm going to study the Bible. I'm going to pray about this. And I'm going to come back and I'm going to give you some answers to some of your questions to help you. And I walked away from that conversation. I got to thinking, you know, he, he, he got married, but I got to thinking about other people like him. And, you know, I got to thinking about if, if they decide to follow what they feel the Bible's saying, um, they're giving up falling in love. They're giving up having children, uh, enjoying children, having the children there to help them when they're older. And I just thought, wow, God, that's a huge ask. <laughs> And it really made me go search and go seek. And of course, now we live in a totally different America with a totally different culture. So I want to just let all of you know, I am, I am so excited you're here today. I want to ask you a favor. I want to ask you to help me make this a very safe atmosphere uh, during this lesson. And so uh, if, if you're one that likes to amen, I'm just going to ask you today. I like amens when you do it, guys. But today, let's not amen, because sometimes amens have attitudes, right? And so let's just make this a safe, a very safe place as we open this up, because I, I think that's very important. And then, guys, let's make this the start of a cultural conversation, because this is just the tip of the iceberg. Uh, we can't cover every question you have today. And I get to thinking about, you know, some of the ministers today, the famous guys today, those, some of these guys are sharp. I mean, they're amazing guys. And the media will ask them, hey, what do you think about gay marriage? And I love these guys' answers. They're not copping out. They'll say, I can't answer that in a sound bite, man. It's going to take, it, there's all kinds of things we have to talk about. And, and that's the same thing we're saying today. It, it's just not something that you can cover in one lesson. But we hope to help us see it in a different light maybe than some of us have seen it before. So I realize in this room, um, I'm, I'm realizing some of you are sitting here and you're aggra aggravated. You're kind of like, hey man, just find out what the Bible says and do it, right? You're just, you're like aggravated. And I wanna let you know, I'm glad you're here today. I'm so glad you're in the room. And uh, I, I hope to help you come out of that state, you know? And then there's some of you that you're sitting here and you're thinking, I'm less than, you know? And why, why do people have to judge me or why do they have to judge someone else if they have a propensity towards a, a certain thing? And, and, and you're just here uh, 
just just saying, why, Pastor Joe? And I want to let you know, man, I'm so excited you're in this room. I'm so excited you're here. And I'm going to do my best to try to help you out uh, today because uh, that's really important. And some of you are here thinking, uh, you know, everybody sees me as intolerant, you know, just because I disagree with them. They call me a hater, and I'm not a hater. And I want to say, I'm glad you're here. And I'm, I don't know about you, I'm glad we live in America, aren't you? And, and, and we can actually believe different things and get along with each other. And then there, there are some of you in this room, you're, you're confused and you're saying, Pastor Joe, man, I've heard this about this subject, I've heard that. I don't know what to believe and I'm excited that you're with us. And again, we're going to hit the tip of the iceberg, but we're going to do our best to help you understand this more clearly. So as Pastor Joe said, we're definitely sitting here coming from a bunch of different backgrounds, different opinions, different perspectives. But I want to start by talking about something that we absolutely all have in common, and that is something that I will refer to as thirst. Um, that's that we are born with this inherent need to have our physical and emotional needs met. And even a little brand new infant knows to protest very loudly when their physical and emotional needs are not met. It's amazing. Nobody teaches a little baby to do this, but watch a baby get uncomfortable, wet, hungry, or uh, need comforting. They know to scream at the top of their lungs. And I believe that begins us on a journey of this inner scream to find our emotional and physical needs met in life. We typically and hopefully learn some more sophisticated ways to deal with it other than scream, but we're on that journey because of something called thirst. Now, first I wanna talk about like some real extreme solutions, quote unquote, that, that we might find on our journey. And the first one I'm gonna use this picture and image of an icy cold, large Coca-Cola and if you've ever been at an amusement park on a really, really hot day and you see that these are being sold, you, it probably feels like it would be a good idea to just guzzle one of those. And if you've ever done that, you will probably realize pretty quickly that shortly after thereafter, you'll probably feel thirsty again. You might even feel kind of gross after drinking that. Um, but this represents a side that is often touted by culture which says, hey, you know, good for you, you're acknowledging the fact you have thirst. Here's our solution, if it feels good, do it. If it feels right to you, do it. We're gonna be friendly, sugary sweet, it's gonna be easy going down, we're gonna pat you on the back, we're gonna high five you, we're going to be tolerant, we're going to love you. And, and there's some good things about having that attitude. The problem is, that it doesn't satisfy thirst. And we can all see that, like maybe somebody we'd pick out in Hollywood that has had the opportunity to kind of follow their thirst all over the map. They have the fame, they have the fortune, they have the looks, they have the sex, they have everything that you might think a person could want to satisfy thirst, and they are on this endless cycle trying to fill thirst anyway. So that's one extreme. On the other completely opposite end, I would use a glass of salt water as, as the picture of this, which would be a real kind of bitter approach. And unfortunately, the people who have touted this approach have often been religious people. Not always, but sometimes and often, religion will say, or people will say, well, shame on you for trying to quench your thirst. Um, here, instead of that, here's a list of do's and don'ts 
So don't do this and don't do that and shame, shame, shame on you. And unlike the sugary sweet drink, that is real bitter going down. It, is very, it can be very unkind, it can be unloving, it can even be cruel, and doesn't at all satisfy thirst either. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna look at the fact that Jesus actually did deal with thirst, and he did it in neither of those two extremes um, or anything in between that we may have tried. Jesus had his own unique way of dealing with thirst. So in John chapter four, we're not going to read the whole account, but I'm going to refer to an account um, often known as the woman at the well. So in the very, very hottest part of the day, um, this woman is found at Jacob's well, and she is thirsty. And so she's there at the same time that Jesus is there. And we find that Jesus does something that would seem real innocuous and real normal, but he does something that's pretty radical, actually, because he asks her to get him a drink. Now, he, she knows and recognizes that this is real unorthodox, so she calls him out on it with kind of a letter of the law approach, like, hey, wait a minute, why are you asking me for a drink? Because I'm a Samaritan, you're a Jew, and the Jews hate the Samaritans. They have nothing to do with us, okay? Also, at that time in that culture, Jewish men, especially rabbis, especially teachers of Judaism, they would not have associated with a woman whose husband was not present. So Jesus is kind of doing some no-nos there. She's taking a letter of the law approach to it, and she's calling him out on it, and he right away goes to a very gracious approach. He doesn't answer her question at all. He says, you know, if you would have asked me, I would give you living water, and, and it would quench your thirst. So I want, I want you to see what he does. The first thing he does is he gives her and shows her this amazing affirmation of her value. And I'm even gonna throw this in there. He begins to even give her a little hint that she has purpose in his eyes. She is not a disposable human being, but she is someone who has value and he is showing that to her. And he's even beginning to introduce her to the idea that she actually has purpose. So first, he shows her this amazing affirmation of her value and purpose. But secondly, he appeals to her thirst. He doesn't say, shame on you for having thirst. What he says is, I am the thirst-quenching God, and the only way to ever quench the thirst of this life is through God, and guess what? I am he, and he starts to have this conversation where she begins to say, oh my goodness, I think this is the Messiah we've all heard about. So those two things are happening. Then he doesn't shy away from her sin at all. He actually brings it up and he says, go and call your husband. Well, she says, I don't, I don't have a husband. And he says, you're right, you're right when you say that because you've had five husbands and now the man you're with is not your husband at all. Now, we're not exactly sure why she had five husbands. You know, in those days, people didn't live as long. All or some of her husbands could have died. But also at that time, um, they could have easily dismissed and discarded her, or she may have left some of them. But what we do know is that she has moved through five of these husbands, and now she has sort of kind of taken on an approach of, I give up, man, I'm just gonna live with this guy. In other words, her thirst has not been quenched, 
and now she's kind of giving up. So again, the three things Jesus did at the well was he gave her an amazing affirmation of value and purpose, then he appeals to her thirst, then and only then he does acknowledge her sin, but he doesn't do it in this shame on you way. He kind of does it in this way where it's like, hey girl, you are looking for love in all the wrong places. And he does it in such a way that her reaction is not one of shame, but what she does from here is kind of astounding. This woman goes and tells all her friends, uh, come and hear this guy who told me everything I ever did. Now that's significant for two reasons. Number one, the fact that he told her everything he ever did, she ever did was meant, he's prophetic, he's, got, he's a prophet, and he could very well be the Messiah, I think he is, I think he's the Messiah. But really importantly, equally to that, that sounded funny, is that she's saying, he didn't shame me. He knew everything I ever did, but he didn't put me to shame. He actually really just showed me that I still have a purpose. And so what I want to say about this is that she had to come to know Jesus before she could trust a no from Jesus. And I think this is a really, really important thing for all of us to understand is before we come to know Jesus, we really aren't going to trust a no from Jesus. And so um, it's at these meetings at the well where we see he cares about our thirst, he is the living water, and he is the thirst quencher that we can come to trust him enough to take a no from him. Now, here is something really cool. I don't know if you know this. But this later, lady, we know what she went on to do for, in her purpose in God. This lady was later um, given the name Fotini by historians, but Fotini went on to win so many converts to Christianity that she was esteemed as highly as the 12 disciples were, for the 12 apostles. So how cool is that? Good. Jesus took this guy, lady who had you know, very little respect from anyone, and he gave her this divine purpose that she fulfilled. Then um, she later, just like 11 of the 12 disciples of Christ, apostles of Christ, died a martyr's death happily, happily laid down her life. And what's so ironic about it is that Fotini, um, she was tortured and um, thrown into an empty well by Emperor Nero. The woman who started at the well with Jesus ended up in an empty well on this earth. But her message is, I gladly give up anything this earth has to offer. This earth has let me down over and over again with its lack of water. But I have so much in the living water of Jesus that I will gladly give this life up. And she gladly died a martyr's death, just like 11 of the 12 apostles. So the, the thing that we have to do with our thirst in this life, and we all have that inherent thirst, is meet him at the well. And we're going to work with that big idea as we move through this lesson today. You know, Fotini, the disciples of Jesus, and many of you in this room, because I know some of your stories, you guys and they have made shocking decisions. And I think about some of the decisions that people have made. Think about the guys in the Bible, um, the disciples of Jesus. Uh, Jesus asked some of them to quit their jobs, to follow him. He asked others to leave businesses. Um, he asked Matthew. Matthew was in the Jewish mafia. And he said, Matthew, I want you to walk away from a life of crime. And Matthew not only walked away, he sold everything he had and gave it to the poor. I think, whoa, that's, that's amazing. His disciples 
had to walk away from their families because, you know, they didn't have trains and planes and automobiles, right? So they had to walk all over Israel, and they had to be away from their family for a year, two years. They see him for a little bit, and then they're away. Some of them were sent to foreign lands after Jesus was raised from the dead, walked away from their families for years. They walked away from careers. They walked away from lifestyles that they weren't supposed to live, and I think that's absolutely shocking. Those are shocking decisions. And the only way to make a decision like that is to meet Jesus at the well. And, and you have to meet him, take that first drink of living water, but then as you spend time in the Bible and you begin to follow him, it's amazing what you can do just by meeting him at the well. And I got to thinking about what Jesus said to every one of his disciples, what Jesus is saying to each and every one of us, and it, it's in Luke, and it goes like this, Luke 9, 23. Then Jesus said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. So after we believe, what is Jesus asking us to do? He's saying, hey, there's some things you want to do that you're going to find out when you read the Bible that I say I don't want you to do. And when there's something I ask you not to do, and you want to do it, there's something I'm asking you to do, to deny yourself. That means it might be something you have a propensity towards. Uh, it could be something you want to do with your life. You may want to go this direction, and then God arrests you and says, no. I remember when I was first accepted Christ, I had plans to go to Southern California, take over my uncle's business, and I'll never forget when God spoke to me and says, you know what, Joe? I want you to go to Bible school and go into ministry. And I, I didn't like that. Um, I, I had to deny what I wanted and followed him. That doesn't happen to too many of us in, in this room. But you know what else happens? Uh, I remember reading the Bible and Jesus saying that sex for heterosexual men was for only for marriage. And I was sexually active before I met him. I'm like, Jesus, are you crazy? You created this thing. Don't you know it's fun? How, are you, how can you expect me to go years till I get married not to have sex. This is ridiculous. And I had these conversations with him, but I kept drinking from the well. And I think about, uh, you know, the different people in this room and what God has asked some of us to do. And, and that's why he says, pick up your cross daily, because guys, the cross is a type of death. So when he says, deny yourself, that's what you want to do that's different than what he's asking you to do. And picking up your cross is saying, I'm willing to nail this to the cross, Jesus, and walk with you. And, and sometimes you think, Jesus, how can I do that? I thought that about sex. I thought, Lord, how, how can I do this? And then I found out what Paul talks about. And it's, it's in 2 Corinthians 12. And you know what Paul says? He says, I had, I had this problem. He said, it was a messenger from Satan. He said, this guy was buffeting me. This guy would stir people up around Paul, have them persecute him. But then Paul said, I had weaknesses and he would tempt my weaknesses. And, and he said, I went to God three times and said, God, take this away from me. I don't want this. And then God answered him and said, I'm not going to take it away. Uh, you have propensities in your flesh. You go into ministry, you're going to be persecuted. Um, I can't take that away from you. But he said, my grace is sufficient, right? He said, your weakness will be made strong in my grace. And the weaker you are, the more God's going to give you grace to obey and do what he asks you to do. And so I had to learn that, and, and, and I call it amazing rewards because Jesus says this to us. He says, guys, whatever I ask you to do, 
if you put that particular thing into practice, I'm going to give you a grace. I'm going to give you contentment. I'm going to give you a purpose like he did Fotini. You meet me at the well. You keep meeting me at the well. You stay in the Bible. You worship me. You, you just pursue me, and I will give you a grace to live the life I'm asking you to live. And where we run into trouble is when, when we try to do it on our own. And that, that is tough for all of us, whatever area it is. So when we get to our question today, is it okay to live the gay lifestyle? When we, when we hit that particular part of our question today, we have to go into the Bible and ask, what does the Bible say? Remember the GYO filter? G stands for God. What does the Bible say? Does it give us permission, prohibition, or do we have to look at principles to figure it out? And uh, so we want to look at this in the Bible. And I realize, you know, there's different sides to this argument. And I want you to know up front, I listen to both sides. I've, I've listened to ministers who disagree 100% with what I'm about to say. And I've listened to everything they have to say. Um, I've listened to guys that were living the gay lifestyle that came out uh, of it and I listen to them, and we'll give you some resource books you can look at, but let me read one scripture to you. This is, this is in um, Leviticus 18.22, and it says, homosexuality is absolutely forbidden, for it is an enormous sin. And then you notice how I gave you some New Testament references, because you might be sitting here saying, well, that's under the law of Moses. We're no longer under the law. The Bible's outdated. Culture's changed. Well, no, it says it in the New Testament, too, and Here's what you want to understand about the law of Moses. You and I aren't under it, but the moral part of the law, there's different parts to it. The moral part of the law that says, you know, thou shall not murder, uh, it says thou shall not steal, that doesn't change once you become a Christian. We just change in how we can fulfill it through the grace or the power of God. But the moral part never changes. So let's look at this verse for a minute. Because if, if you're born with that propensity towards the gay lifestyle, it's tough. And you know, uh, they say three to 4% of Americans are born with that propensity towards it. So that's a big ask from God, right? So let's just look at this. He calls it an enormous sin. Some translations say an abomination. And li listen, guys, do you know what else the Bible calls an abomination or an enormous sin? Gossip. Gossip, man. How many of us have ever struggled with gossip, right? How many of us have a propensity towards gossip, right? And there's all kinds of things that are called enormous sins in the Bible. So I want to make sure you understand that. And, and then he says, I forbid it, so we know that it's prohibited. But then take a look at the word homosexuality. You know what that's referring to? Practicing the lifestyle. And I want you to know up front, it's not a sin to have same-sex attraction. It's not a sin to desire to do something. The sin is when we do it. You know, the Bible says Jesus was tempted in every way that we were tempted. And all these guys, Paul had some temptations. He doesn't say what they were, but he said the things that I wanted to do, uh, I end up not doing the things that God wants me to do. I've fallen in those areas. I've had to learn to walk in the grace of God to overcome. And so uh, I want you to know, because I think as a church, what we do is we shame people because they have temptations. And I, I want to live in a world, guy, guys, I want the church to be a world where somebody can be as comfortable coming to me or to you saying, hey, I'm struggling with same-sex attraction. Uh, can you be my accountability? Can you pray with me? Without us saying, you know, no, get behind me, you know. That's, that's, that's a terrible sin. That's unforgivable. I'd like us to be able to treat someone struggling with that the same way we would treat someone that says, hey, I struggle with alcohol. Hey, I had an affair. I'd like us to have the mercy and grace of God 
to minister life to anybody that's struggling in any area of their life. And so, as I said, guys, we're, we're just hitting the tip of the iceberg today. And you may be sitting here saying, Pastor Joe, what about this? What about that? So here's what we did. Uh, we made additional resources available to you. They're on our website, believers.cc. And we gave you six books. You can buy whichever ones you want. These are incredible books on this subject. Some of them are written by guys that came out of the lifestyle. They're amazing books. And then we gave you two video links if you like to listen rather than read. So all of that's available on our website. And I'm going to let my wife continue All on. right. So as Pastor Joe said, you know, um, meeting Jesus at the well and, and coming to a place where you've decided, okay, I, I want the living water, but you understand now this means I'm going to have to lay down my life, pick up a cross, and follow me. That's, that's tough stuff. It's not going to come to us by accident. We're not going to build this skill in our lives um, casually. We're going to need to meet him at the well on a regular basis, probably on a daily basis to get that strength. But there are ways we could help each other meet each other at the well too. And we are not meant to be isolated and, and away from people. Let's be a culture that helps everybody wherever they're at meet him at the well. And, and let's do that by saying meet me at the well. So what are some of the things that we as the church can do, we as people can do, whether we're churched or not, Number one is develop great listening skills. Listen, because this is kind of a rare gift. Um, it's actually a gift when we will actually listen to understand someone. Ask my husband if he considers it a rare gift when I will actually try to listen to him in the middle of a disagreement. Actually, if I ever do that, he, his jaw drops to the floor and he's like, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> because normally we're in the middle of a disagreement. I am thinking while he's talking, I'm thinking of how to trap him in his words or thinking about what I want to say next. But unfortunately, we do this a lot in common conversations every day with people is we're tolerating what they're saying so we could get to what we want to say. And so it really is a very godly thing and a very loving thing to, to be a listener. And I think we should be able to listen to people, find out what their stories are, find out what, what their perspective is, um, be open to listening to their point of view. I think that's a very loving thing to do. Secondly, let's celebrate singleness. You know, um, so often, and I think the church can be really guilty of this, is we can treat singleness like it's some sort of disease that needs to be cured, and real quickly. But I want to say, if you're in a single, uh, if you're living a single life, or if you're living in a single period of your life, you're in very, very good company because Jesus Christ himself lived his life as a single man. The Apostle Paul promoted singleness as an excellent option, saying that you can serve the Lord with your whole heart as a single in a, in a really nice way, and in in maybe even a better way. So he promoted it. Um, and then we will not all be married in this life, but one thing is for sure, we will all be single in this life in different times and different seasons. Some of us will be single all of our lives. Some of us who are even married were single before we got married and will be single after we are married. And hopefully it's not because you shot your mate and, um, you know, but, you know, sometimes until death do us part or sometimes it's uh, divorce does us part, whether we wanted it to or not, and we find ourselves single. So let's not make this some kind of taboo, you've got cooties kind of thing, let's fix this. Let's, 
really celebrate the fact that we can all, as individuals, live our life completely for God, and, and being single or married doesn't have to change that. Let's celebrate that. Okay, develop deep, deep and authentic relationships. We're not trying to say here, hey everybody, let's just get really good at camouflaging what we really believe so that we could be politically correct or we could be polite. That is not the goal. And I think sometimes those who believe a traditional Christian view about homosexuality is, is a sin, they feel like that when they go out there in, in culture, they have to camouflage what they believe because you can really be called a hater or intolerant and all of these different things that none of us want to be called because we don't feel we are those things. And so we're not teaching you to camouflage that. Um, and, and so we're saying as you develop relationships in life, you go deeper and deeper and deeper in the authenticity and the amount of information you give somebody and, and you're authentic, that's the goal. But neither should somebody who does not hold uh, a historic point of view uh, or a traditional point of view about homosexuality have to camouflage for the church. They should be able to openly discuss their experience, openly discuss their opinion, and openly discuss why they feel the way they feel without being stereotyped and locked into to kind of, and being demonized, if you know what I mean. Let's create a culture of authenticity, and as you go deeper and deeper and deeper into your friendships, be authentic. I have many, many deep relationships in my life, family, friends, and one thing is absolutely true about all those relationships is we agree on some things, but we disagree on some things. And what makes it a wonderful friendship or relationship is that we love each other, though we don't agree on everything. So develop deep and authentic relationships. Um, provide community. I think it's a little challenging in our day and age because we are very, very busy. We can very much, uh, because of social media and being online and all of that, we can really kind of lose any kind of face-to-face -face contact with the people that we're developing relationships with. Um, but really there is something to be said about being together with people and not isolating too much. This week we are promoting all of our connect groups. That is one of many ways to get into community with people. As we said, if we are going to choose a life where we're meeting at the well, you've got to be with people. You have to develop um, relationships and develop community. And so I, I think that Jesus did this. He spent many hours. Now, he's the son of God. He's got three years to get this done, you know, this ministry thing done. And yet he takes hours and hours of his time to walk with his disciples to different destinations, and they're talking during that time. He takes time to eat with them. So there's a lot of time taken, and that was Jesus. So I think all of us could take our time, get in proximity with other people, and develop community. It's a very important thing. Um, I think modeling our beliefs rather than just talking about our beliefs is a really big important thing. All of us can probably relate to the feeling that we have of, of cringing when somebody is just blabbing and blabbing and blabbing, but they don't walk their talk. You know, all they do is talk about how great they are or what they believe, but they don't walk the talk, and it makes you cringe. And I think we have to realize that if we have gone to the well, we've received living water, there should be some real evidence of that in our walk. And I think one of that would be what is, the Bible calls the fruit of the Spirit. We should be exuding love, joy, peace, 
patience, kindness, goodness. How about this one? This is a fruit of the Spirit. Self-control is even a fruit of the Spirit. So we can model those things, and a lot of those things become caught more than taught. And I think it's very appealing. When we find someone in our life that we think models those things, we want to be around them, and we want to hear what they have to say. So model your beliefs. And finally, Let's, in, let's just acknowledge the fact that loving boundaries and accountability is a part of healthy living. You know, I lead a lot of connect groups and, and have led them over the years, and I always ask this question, who knows what happens to children whose parents don't set boundaries with them? Now, I have never one time had it take a long time for this unanimous answer to come, and people wholeheartedly, and they actually scream it out, they say, they become ruined, they become spoiled. We thrive in life with having love, and loving boundaries is a part of that, and accountability is a part of that. So good parents display and exhibit and create loving boundaries for their children, and God is a good parent. God reserves the right to say yes to good and no to bad in, in his children's lives. So loving accountability is a really, really good thing. For the reason of boundaries, you have skin on your body. You have walls and a roof in your house and you have doors with locks on them because boundaries is good and boundaries is a necessary thing. So what are we saying by saying all of these things? Basically, it's like, hey, I'm not here to condemn anyone. I'm saying, hey, look, if I've found living water, let me say, meet me at the well. I'll meet you there. I'll help you find that living water for yourself. Now, we have promised that we were going to talk about if you're a business, should you, should you service a gay wedding? If you're in relationship with someone who's invited you to attend a gay wedding, what should you do? And I think we would all love it if there was a one-size-fits-all answer for this that we could just trust would work, but that is not true. There are hundreds of nuances that you are going to think about with every, every situation. In fact, any decision in your life, you are considering nuance after nuance, and one part of the Godhead is called the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is there to help us consider all the nuances of all the situations and come to a conclusion and a decision that seems good to us in the Holy Ghost, you know, the Holy Spirit. And so um, one thing I do want to say is that you better make sure that you're eye to eye with God on this because no matter what decisions you make in life, whether it be about homosexuality or other, no matter what decision you make, you will pay some sort of price for it. Somebody is going to not like your decision, somebody might like your decision, but you will pay a price no matter what decisions you make in life, and you are going to need God's help to get through that part of it. The Apostle Paul came to a place in 1 Corinthians 4 where he said, I care very little if I am judged by you or any other human court. As a matter of fact, I don't even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that doesn't even make me innocent. He said, it is the Lord who is my judge. And he said, there's going to come a day, the Lord is going to come, and he's going to expose the motive of a man's heart, and then they'll be judged by the Lord. So I think he's saying something really clear. Look, we're going to have to take a stab at making good decisions, and we're going to have to prayerfully consider our decisions and try to really make sure that our motives are pure and do our best to make a good decision 
decision, but it is the Lord who's going to judge those things. People are going to judge and misjudge our hearts, but God won't. And so let's, let's make sure that we're doing it that way. So having said all that, I still want to say that I think that, that we get kind of hung up um, on these words called condemning and condoning. So let's say you've prayed about it. You've been invited to a gay wedding or you've been asked to service a gay wedding. You've prayed about it. You've prayed about the hundreds of nuances that are going to go into this decision. And you feel like, you know, I feel like the answer is that I'm supposed to go to this thing, to this, to this event. And, uh, but then you feel like, but is that then me saying I will condone homosexuality? And I think we worry about that. Um, on the other side of it, we think, well, if I really feel like I've prayed about this and I just really have considered all the nuances and I feel like I love this person, but I am not to go, and in all good conscience I can't go, am I going to look like then I'm condemning someone? And so we get, we get to this quandary in our, in our minds. So what I would say is go back to the well. What part of the conversation between you and God and the Holy Spirit, what part of the conversation at the well do you think you're having? Is this person someone you feel like, this is my opportunity to express this unconditional love? You know, this might be your child. This might be a person who knows very well what you stand for and what you believe and knows you are not condoning it, and you feel like this is, we've had a, uh, a struggle over the years. We've had many negative experiences, perhaps, but I feel like this is the right thing to do. Well, then God is looking at your heart, and you should go, and you should express that unconditional love and value because that's what's coming out of your heart authentically. Or maybe you feel like you're at the conversation or the part of the conversation at the well where you are bringing some level of accountability about sin, what you believe to be a sin. And you feel like, you know, I love this person and I'm going to continue to love this person, but I don't feel like I can authentically go and wholeheartedly service this wedding or, or be a part of this. I feel like that. Well, then you are not condemning that person. If you are in a loving, respectful, prayerful time and you come to that decision, God is looking at your heart and you are not condemning. And so you have to make these decisions before God with your conscience. But I would say that no matter what decisions we make, we let God help us through whatever the results may be, but our attitude is come and meet me at the well. And so when it comes to all of these decisions, don't stop meeting them at the well. Meet them at the well. Keep having the attitude of, I'm going to meet them at the well. Let's go, let's go ahead and pray. Let's bow our heads, close our eyes. Lord, I thank you for every incredible, so important to you person in this room, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for this moment in time. And Lord, I know as I've taught and as Gina taught today, I know you dealt with many people in here for areas we're not even, it's not even the subject. You dealt with people concerning picking up their cross in some areas and following you, Lord. And Lord, only you can show us that. I can't bring that out. You have to show every Christian that. And Lord, I thank you right now for different people that in different areas of their life, they're sitting here. You, you, you opened up their hearts. You, you flooded them with life. And they know I need to pick 
my cross up in this area. Lord, we take a God moment right now and we just whisper the commitment to you that, hey, Lord, we're going we're gonna to nail that to the cross. We're going to nail it. There's some of you in here today, you're so excited because you know, you're, you're, you're doing everything you can to follow Jesus and just to, just to know that, hey, I'm doing the right thing. I'm following him. I'm denying myself. But I just want to let you know, we're going to be praying for God's grace to flood you at a higher level. And I want to encourage you to pull on the grace of God like you've never pulled on it. There may be some of you in here today, and I'm sure there are. You're sitting here saying, Pastor Joe, appreciate your, your graciousness and genus as you taught this, but I don't agree with you. And here's what I want you to know, man. I'm okay with that. I love you. I, I love you. I care about you. God loves you. And here's what I want to encourage you to do. Keep drinking from the well. And how do you do that, man? You pursue Jesus. You read the Bible. Um, you, you worship him like we did at the beginning of service. You pursue him. And, and I would do this. This is what I did in other areas of my life. I'd say, God, I just don't see that yet. But I love you, Jesus. You saved my life. I'm going to keep following you. And Lord, you're going to have to show me because I don't have the want to right now to obey you in this area. Be authentic with God, but don't walk away from him. Keep following him. So heads are bowed, eyes are closed right now. We're praying, guys. And Lord, I thank you for giving all of us wisdom to walk this out in our lives when it comes to uh, ministering life to people that struggle in this area, Lord. And uh, Lord, I thank you for growing all of us, and I thank you for growing this church, Lord, into a church, Lord, that, yeah, we, we lay the standard down. Here's what we believe the Bible says, but Lord, grow us in our ability to, to have community, in our ability, Father, to listen and to support and not to shame people, Lord. Let us be a church that keeps taking people to the well, and Lord, thank you for growing every one of us in every area of our life. We thank you so much. Now, heads are bad, eyes are closed. One more thing, guys. Maybe you're here and you say, Pastor Joe, I have not yet to drink from the well of that living water the first time. Listen up. Right now, I'm not asking you to join our church or religion. I'm not asking you if you grew up in church, if you were water baptized as a baby or an adult, because you can do every one of those things and never know Jesus, never meet him. Here's what I'm asking. Can you remember a day in your life when you made it personal? When you said, you know what, Jesus, I believe what you say about yourself. I believe that you're the way, the truth, and life. I believe you died for me. I believe you're the Savior, and I'm ready today to accept you. If you're here and you say, Pastor Joe, my heart's touched. Maybe you never were in a church before. Maybe you didn't grow up in church. Maybe you came in here not knowing if you believed in God, but you're saying, man, I like the Jesus that was at the well. I want to meet him personally. You know, he said, if you call on his name, he'll save you. So heads are bowed, eyes are closed. If you're here, you say, Pastor Joe, that's me. Would you pray with me right now? Can the rest of us in the room help him pray? And if you mean this, the miracle happens. Just say this after me. Say, Lord God, I realize I'm a sinner. I repent for all my sin. And I make a decision today to accept Christ. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you're the Savior. This day, I give you my heart. I accept you as Savior, and I make a decision to follow you. Amen. Now, heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Listen up, listen up. 
If you prayed that prayer, you might not have felt anything, but you know what God did? He washed every sin you ever committed away. He gave you the gift of eternal life. You know what else is happening right now? The Bible teaches us that heaven is celebrating. That's amazing. Thank you for listening to the BC Podcast. Follow us at A City Connected on Twitter and Instagram to stay updated, inspired, and encouraged.